Imagine you go to university, skip all your lessons, then somehow a few years down the line, you own not one but several law firms. Well, that's the story of our next guest for the podcast. David Jones is now a partner in Glacius, which also owns several other firms. Fascinating story. Uh, fascinating podcast. Um, hi, so we're just starting the podcast and I've got David Jones here. Would hi. You like to introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, my name's uh, David Jones. I'm a partner in a law firm uh, called Glaciers ETL. Uh, I'm a litigator by trade, um, but I try and do as little uh, foul work as possible, and some say as little as possible generally um, these days, because uh, my main job's helping to run uh, our business and and to sort of grow it and get out there and, and see people like your good self. So what does executive partner really mean? Uh, it, I suppose it means... Um, being more sort of outward facing so my business partner David Marler is very much sort of managing partner he's looking at the processes the detail uh, things like that I'm not a detail um, person I'm more sort of getting out there seeing what the big opportunities are and and going out and uh, and, and seeing new clients and sort of developing new uh, products but also looking to see if there are other um law firms or confidential business out there that we might want to acquire or uh, go into partnership with. So, obviously you didn't start like this your whole life, but how did you get into this? Well, I got into law by complete accident. Um, I have had a very interesting uh, life and I had far too much fun um, when I was uh, when I was a teenager. And I dropped out of university um, the first time around when it when I went when I was eighteen, and um, like I say, had a lot of fun. Um, can't remember a great deal of it, but it was it was it was fun. Uh, and I was sort of um, doing sort of dead end jobs, sort of student type jobs, but actually not going to university, yeah. living in a student accommodation, but not going to university. You just uh, everything. Yeah, I was just skiving basically. <laughs> And then four years after um, A-level results uh, day, my A-level results day, uh, a friend of mine who I was living with at the time shamed me into, um, into ringing up a university and saying, uh, can I have a start a degree, please? Uh, and I rang them up and they asked me what A-levels I'd got and I told them and they said, well, you can do anything here. Uh, you can do any of our courses. Um, so I said to them, what's the most prestigious one? And they replied, Law LLB. And so I went, okay, I'll do that with no plan whatsoever. And then uh, continuing on my lucky but terrible decision making, um, I did that degree and um, I did quite well in the sort of uh, debating and mooting um, societies and activities and competitions that were were going on and so I was encouraged again stupidly uh, to apply to bar school to become a barrister um, and so I did um, during that period where um, well, I was waiting to, to, to move to London to, to go to bar school um, a government, uh, a government appointed uh, documentation came out, a sort of report called the Lord Carter Report, which uh, basically meant that there was no way that you could make any money out of being a criminal barrister, uh, which is what I wanted to be. And you've seen recently 
these strikes from barristers because um, you can only really be a criminal barrister if you've got wealthy parents uh, these days and I, I don't have that. Um, so I went to bar school. It was like uh, drama school. It was amazing. I loved it. It was really, really hard work, but it was so rewarding. Um, it was like drama school. You were getting up on your feet. You were being videoed. Um, I loved it. In between the lessons, you were working really hard to sort of prep for the next bit of work, the next bit of being on your feet or the next bit of research that you had to do. Oh, yeah, and the camaraderie was amazing as well. You're in a teaching group of, of 12 people, uh, all of them really bright, apart from me, and uh, sort of rubbing, off, rubbing um, along together and sort of helping each other. It was, it was fantastic. So I, did, I actually did really well uh, on that course. But whilst everyone else was applying for pupillages, I didn't. Um, there was no point. I couldn't afford to be a criminal barrister once if, if I was successful. So I didn't do that. Um, so when I came out of that, uh, I managed to get myself a paralegal job um, with a law firm. So when we, how old were you when you first got at your first job? Yeah, so that that first job was two thousand and seven. So I would have been twenty seven. Oh wow, the first time you got yeah, yeah. the proper first legal job was twenty seven. So I was much older than most people were, um, and that was great being a paralegal in London in a decent law firm, which I was, was amazing. The money wasn't even bad. Um, and I soon learned that actually I was all right at doing this. And that being that bit older, coming into it was a huge advantage um, because my people skills were a bit more rounded uh, and I didn't get, I didn't have as many awkward conversations with clients. I didn't have as many awkward, uh, awkward conversations with colleagues. But because, other people have, so it's awkward things. Yeah. Yeah, there was often a tendency because my peers who had training contracts as opposed to the weird way I did it, I cross-qualified, but the weird, they they often came out with things which were a bit silly or crass with clients and colleagues, um, particularly if they'd come from a lot of money. Um, Whereas my Scouse accent uh, was quite endearing to a lot of um, international and sort of uh, very wealthy clients. It's also probably a bit different because when you were younger, you enjoyed then you enjoyed life. Yeah, you no, enjoyed I, your social skills then. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and I think um, I think I think my uh, scousness was uh, made me exotic as well in, in its own weird way. So I I, I got on quickly, and and they allowed me to cross qualify, and I had a fantastic time. I was doing amazing uh, sort of international work. Uh, I was doing some big cases and I was really I really enjoyed it. It was really hard work, but London for me is is a young person's place. Um, my wife um, thought we were moving for a year and we ended up being there for seven years. Um, and so it was it was time to come back in there and start a family. but I, I loved London. It was working hard and, and playing very hard. Uh, often with your colleagues because no one drives in everybody gets the tube in or the train in or the bus in so everyone has a couple of drinks after work it really was a work hard play hard scenario and that I thrived in that situation yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely Um, so then we came back here um, 
and I work for a, a fabulous firm in Manchester called Kites. Very fond memories. Uh, oh, you left that job? Yeah, oh, okay. we, we moved back up. Um, my wife wanted to start a family in Liverpool. Um, uh, but buying a, a house big enough to have kids in, in London would have meant that I basically lived in Cornwall um, or Birmingham. Um, you just have to keep on getting further and further away, the bigger house you want. So um, instead of doing that, we, we went a whole hog and, and moved back up north. Um, and the only firm that would pay me what I thought I was worth was Kites. Um, and that was a fabulous move. Kites is a great firm. Uh, I learned a, a hell of a lot there. I worked with some really nice people. Again, I had some fab- fantastic clients. Did really interesting stuff. Um, but part of where I thought I was lacking um, was in terms of the networking side of things because I'd been in London for seven years um, and then moved to Liverpool, never worked in Manchester before. I think I'd only been to Manchester itself once or twice previously. Didn't really know anyone there. Didn't know anybody whatsoever. Um, but I was brought to look after one particular client and they had a retainer. So in many respects, I had a a lot of work to do, a lot of sort of steady work to do. And that freed me up in terms of being able to look at other things. Uh, And so I wanted to do what I knew that I could do in London which was network. And I'd already been to a BNI in London and I uh, had been very fortunate in that um, I replaced a, a lovely guy called Colin Stone who was retiring. Um, and he was in the oldest BNI in, 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 uh, in the country. It was set up in 1995, so it'd been going a long time by the time I was involved in it. Uh, 14 years, I think it'd been going by the time I even got there. And I, I got some work from that and I thought this might work. Um, so I asked when I was at Kites to see if I could uh, start going to BNI. And they said, no, 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 that's just Californian nonsense. Uh, no way would we let you uh, do that. It's ridiculous. And I said, well, please, I'll go on my own time. I'll even pay for it myself. And they relented. Uh, and that was. You have um, to ask permission to go on your own time. Yeah. Yeah. As it happened, the one that I fancied doing was probably in office time. So I suppose I, I suppose it was actually their time. Eventually, the one that because I, I know lots of them. Some of them are six in the morning. Some of them are ten. So I went to that one, and um, that worked. And I worked from the off, uh, and that built up and built up. And kites looked after me and um, gave me promotions every year. And part of that. Uh, most of that's probably down to the work that I brought in and the networking that I'd built up and the skills that I brought, which were, you know, they're, they're transferable. So if you learn how to think about business relationships in the same way that you think about family and friendship relationships in that you would do anything for people and that you would look for an opportunity to help um, people then it really works and it comes back in 
in, in spades. So I've applied that to everything. The same principles that I've learned from the networking that I've done, applied across the board to all of my business relationships, means that you're connecting people, through that you're generating new business for them, but you're also, as a lawyer, you're generating new business for your own business, your own firm. And that worked really, really well. Um, and so, as I say, I, I became partner in, in four years. Uh, and that's fantastic. On Kite. At Kite. Yeah. Uh, and then... Four years is really, really quick, isn't it? It is, it is quick, yes. And it's probably too quick if you, if you talk to most people uh, about my abilities. Um, then um, the opportunity came around to, uh, again, through BNI, to um, go into business with a, a large international organisation and to acquire um, law firms. That, did you have that idea? It, yes. So you um, approached someone else with that idea? The, the idea was there. I knew that they acquired um, accountancy practices. So I knew it wouldn't be that weird um, for them to acquire a law firm. So we had that conversation uh, and we put together uh, uh, an idea um, about doing it and then um, other people talked to me about it and, and, and uh, so you, had you an interest. So you approached ETL to buy a law firm for you to run? Yes. You must have felt really confident to do that. <laughs> uh, confident or stupid, uh, Ellie, to be, to be frank. Um, I'd come from, um, with Kite, a fantastically run firm with some really great people and there was no sense of panic at Kites. There was no sense of, sort of that anything was particularly unplanned. Of course, things went wrong. With all businesses, things go wrong. But they always seemed, uh, Robert Levy, Steve Eckston, always used to seem to have everything covered. Um, uh, and I'm sure they probably did most of the time, or, or, or if not, then they, they hid it well. But um, they were really, really great leaders. Um, I think what we probably hadn't appreciated when we got involved uh, with that first acquisition, which was Glaciers, was that it would take a lot more than that. Uh, a lot more than just sort of coming in and being the fresh-faced, uh, fairly fresh-faced, um, new guys uh, sort of running the, the show. Um I think I felt panic probably from the start uh, and only recently probably not so you've had panic. Like the, whole, the whole time you've had it, it, It's... When you go into a business that you acquire, you don't know everything. Due diligence doesn't serve a huge amount of, of purpose other than you being able to look at a load of figures. Especially uh, within the culture, I presume. The yeah. Standard. No, absolutely, and the the generally speaking, there was a great culture at, at Glaciers um, existing before we got there. Some really nice people, some really competent people. Um, but in my view, it hadn't been run like a business to a large extent, um, and we'd come from somewhere where the, there had been a sort of strong sort of business ethic. Uh, 
and so it took a while to, to change things. Um, we were we were guided uh, by our practice manager Sue Ecclesias, who who uh, was fantastic um, to make as many decisions as we could, sort of bold decisions, and take as many actions as we could in the first six months, so that we could sort of keep the momentum going and and um, keep the buy in, uh, and we did that. But then you need to keep on reminding yourself two things. First of all, um, what's the next thing? What can I do? I've got to keep the momentum going. But at the same time, is the next step going to mean we haven't got enough money to do something else? Or if whilst we're focusing on A, does that mean that we've taken our eye off B? And B is actually more important because it keeps the lights on or, or, or whatever. So it was it was a the, the first probably two years were uh, were a struggle, um, but an enjoyable struggle. I enjoyed not being an employee anymore um, because of my background and my slightly odd way of getting to where I am now um, I have got a bit of imposter syndrome I did always think that someone would tap me on the shoulder and say come on you've, you've blagged your way this far but we've, we've caught you out and I think part of that was probably due to when I initially went to Kites because I was looking after one client if you lose that client for whatever reason, then do you have a job? Um, and I qualified um, in 2009, cross-qualified in 2009. I became a barrister in 2006, but I became a solicitor in 2009. Pretty bad timing. Uh, in the middle of the worst uh, economic crash anyone, had, uh, anyone could really remember. And so you've always got that nervousness that um, things could come and and, and uh, backfire in some kind of spectacular way. And you know you've got a mortgage and you've got kids. What are you going to do? That's a bit different when you've got leases because ETL were backing you. Yeah, so they were backing us, um, and that's that that's fantastic. I, you know, I'm incredibly grateful for all the support we've had from ETL. But you don't want to fail because you don't want to lose face in front of other people. So ETL in particular, you don't want to lose face. So you wouldn't want to ask for more money or you wouldn't want to say, oh, do you know what, we've, we've not got this quite right. Can you help us with X, Y and Z? So you have to sort of try and deal with it yourself first and foremost and not go back to them cap in hand. Um, so all all that support that you do get from ETL, I mean, we you know we've got some amazing relationships now, particularly in in Spain, but in Germany too, um, and uh, and in London. But London and, and Spain's been that the places where we've got the, the the vast amount of our work from from ETL, which has been amazing. And Czech Republic recently, actually, Czech Republic's been a great source of work too. Um, so you get all that kind of support, but on the financial side and on the uh, human resources side, 
we, we've had to do it um, ourselves because we wanted to. It's um, been really hard going into business and dealing with the human resources then. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the managing partner at Kite Tours used to say that uh, the hardest thing about the job was uh, the people. Um, and I don't think I really believed him um, while I was there. Probably because I was so full of my own self-importance. But um, he was absolutely right. He was, he was spot on. Um, the people side of things is tricky. And I think what I'm learning is that the reason it's tricky is because you, as a business owner, you sort of get into your head that you're making every decision for the right reason and you're doing it for the best, the best sort of um, best interests of the, of the of the business, the company, the firm, whatever it is. But your employees don't always see it that way. They think you're being selfish or that they think you're doing something even sometimes to upset them or having not taken their interests and their welfare into consideration. And that's not true. It's, it's that sort of element of trust that I think needs to be worked on. And I think with lots of people, we've got that trust. But in other, uh, but but it, it's it's almost like you don't get given that trust and then it stays. It's like you still have to earn that trust every day that every decision you make, you've done for the best interests of the business. So how do you do that? Um, I think you've got to explain your decisions a bit more. Um, I was once taught. I think it was when I was in London, I was taught this, that you shouldn't think that a client automatically knows um, anything at all. You should treat all clients like they're stupid uh, and explain every single point because if you don't, um, then they've got, they'll have a reason to complain. Because you might think something's obvious because you've been to university and you've been to bar school and you've been through a training contract and you've had this experience of being a lawyer. So you might think that there's lots of things which are just not completely obvious, but you have to set them out with people. And the same thing applies sometimes if you're very intelligent uh, lawyers that work for you. Um, obviously don't treat them like they're stupid, but sometimes you need to sort of over-explain why you're making a decision. Um, sometimes you might think it's obvious why, why wouldn't anyone have made that decision that we made? And then it could be misinterpreted. And I've, I've got employees now who put their hand up and say that they always look for the worst in, in a decision. They will put their hand up and say that? Um, someone, said it, someone said it to me this week because I said in an email to them, why do you always look for the worst sort of reasoning behind a decision? Um... And they went, yeah, no, I do, don't I? I went, yes, you do. Does my head in. We didn't, Dave and I didn't do this to um, make a fortune. We're obviously comfortable um, 
my kids don't want for anything all that kind of thing but for us it was more about the satisfaction of growing something and generating business generated money for our communities um, and so we do treat it like a business we do try and make money out of it but also we um, concentrate on having happy employees um, that's a massively important thing to us it's also massively important to Dave and I that there's loads of tax being paid um, so and we, we work that out each year and work out that actually we're contributing a load of tax to the government for its misspend on our on our behalf but also obviously you know that that's a, that's a I was in Dubai recently gone off a bit of a tangent but thought we'd have to deal with it um, I was in Dubai recently for a cryptocurrency expo and uh, a friend of mine introduced me to a guy uh, who was living out there who made a, a fortune in, in Canada and he said to me oh you know a guy, yeah, a guy like you a guy like you David should be uh, should be here he said don't uh, you don't pay any tax and I said well I think you've got me wrong there actually uh, I like paying tax because I money to people to misspend <laughs> I like giving money to people to misspend. No, but I, I like paying tax. I like uh, I like giving back. I like contributing to society. So no, going to Dubai uh, is probably not uh, one for me for those reasons. Um, so, but I sort of I think it's important that when you're looking at your business, you're not just looking thinking about yourself, not just thinking about your next dividend or your next drawings. Um, it's important that you see. And appreciate your position in the community. Um, we're helping people most of the time, um, helping people buy new houses, helping people uh, hire new staff, helping people sell their businesses, helping people buy businesses, helping people in disputes, which is the most painful part of our job. Um, that is a service which, yes, we get paid well for. Um, but which is hopefully part of greasing the wheels of a successful democratic uh, country. Um, so I think it's important to, 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 to know your place in the community, know what you're doing to help in your community and, and, and business in general, and keep on explaining and over-explaining why you make certain decisions if needs be. I think Boris Johnson's team might need help with disputes, internal disputes. <laughs> I, I suspect uh, they need some uh, chiropractors for uh, sorting out all their, uh, their, their, their bad backs from crawling on the floor um, to him and now away from him and, uh, and sort of uh, walking away without, uh, without turning their, their attention away from him. I think they've... I think they've... Uh, going to have to do some pretty pretty strong u-turns uh and so they might almost get whiplash as well from uh having to sort of go from being yes men and women for boris to distancing themselves from a lot of the moral choices that boris has made um so through they can get that voted back in yeah so that they can 
so that they can um, get the vote um, when the um, when the parliamentary party um, and the conservative uh, membership does vote. Um, they, they they need to regain people's trust that they um, will act in a, a, a correct fashion and a fashion that you'd expect from people who um, ask us to behave ourselves and yet they don't behave themselves. I mean that that's the big that's the big um, that's the big problem, isn't it? That's the sort of the uh, double standards issue that they've really got. Um, I think I think that's going to be difficult for them over the next however long. We won't know, will we? Because they don't uh, say until next week how long the process is going to be to to elect the new leader and therefore prime minister. So you'll see an awful lot of um, U-turns, a lot of uh, a lot of people attacking Boris, who until extremely recently were uh, very much hanging on to his coattails. Yeah, just going back to Glutus, when you you bought it, how oh, ETL bought it, um, how many years ago? Uh, we we bought it together, um, December eighteen. So, and and what what was the financial state at that point? And until it, now, but it wasn't the best. <laughs> uh, it wasn't the best. Um, but I'm glad to say that it's a thriving business now. Um, we've got a lot more lawyers. Um, the turnover has gone up by 50% in that time. Um, things like salaries have gone up a lot in that time because obviously... Sure people have been happy about that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, some of that's just because we've had to attract um, really good talent. But also part of that is making sure that we retain people who, who've been at Glaciers for a long time. Um, probably what we did more than anything else was improve the quality of the work um, so that the average sort of spend that someone has with us is bigger because they're uh, they're doing people are doing bigger, better, more exciting projects um, it, there was a an element of pilot high, sell it cheap um beforehand which has its place but not in a Manchester city centre law firm um, we're about focus and on service and quality um, we get amazing um, reviews from people um, consumers are much better at providing reviews than businesses so um, for our residential conveyancing, for example, we have probably five, six, seven amazing uh, online reviews, Trustpilot reviews, reviewyoursolicitor.com, all that kind of new reviews a month. Um, we do get them in business, but they, they seem to be a bit more conservative about saying too much about anything. So we know we're doing something right. We can always get better. Um, I think the main thing that we've done is get better clients who are um, involved in bigger, better, more exciting stuff. We've really changed the whole point of the business instead of doing, like you said, a lot of work, but cheap work, to 
way less work but better on. yeah no absolutely we're not um, and never will be a factory out in deepest darkest uh, Lancashire um, off an A road um, with lots and lots of parking um, with loads of kids coming straight out of university as their first job just to knock through a load of personal injury claims or PII claims or PPI claims or anything like that that's not us we're about individual tailored services for people um, definitely quality not quantity now and that's worked for us because um, we were never going to get the economies of scale that you need to do the, the pallet high seller cheap um, work we were always going to need to charge more for our work but to make sure that it's brilliant um, and we do that successfully and I'm glad to say that um, it has worked because the finances have got a hell of a lot better uh, and that, so you're a bit happy about that yeah, yeah no, <laughs> I, of, of, of course I'm happy about that um, and it's allowed us to, to um, invest in other things as well so We've invested in, we bought a, a stake in a, a law firm in London uh, called Leighton's. Um, and in terms of the legal side of things, uh, Leighton's should be our jewel in the crown, jewel in the ETL crown, because it's got uh, loads of international work, it's got loads of really clever people with lots of language skills, um, which is fantastic for ETL because it's an international sort of business. So when you invest in a, in a different company like that, do you invest? Does Glacius invest? Glacius yeah. invest. Oh, I see. You're yeah. from your finances. Yeah. So um, we have that, and, and that is really um, that's great to have that sort of st- those strings to our bow. Uh, and then uh, more recently, we invested in a business called um, Wealth Recovery uh, Solicitors, which is an investment scam um, law firm. Uh, it's loads of uh, not a scam. <laughs> It's not a scam. It doesn't do the scams. It does go after the scammers. Um, and that's really interesting. That That's uh, some some young lads who um, saw an opportunity, set it up, and um, really sort of uh, pushed on. And, and they bring a, a different dynamic to, because they were in our offices at uh, in Manchester. So they are sort of, young and thrusting uh, and do sort of it's a bit like that it's not I'm not saying it's Wolf of Wall Street but it's you know, it's a bit more Wolf of Wall Street than, than Glacier's is uh, and they do stuff around um, investment frauds so uh, people a lot of people have invested heavily in Cypriot brokers uh, who don't really care about um how people lose and, and get there was quite a lot of stuff where they've just been told a few fibs uh, about the investments and things like that so we help them and they also do some cryptocurrency uh, scam uh, work they've got loads of uh, very clever technology which I'm not going to pretend that I understand uh, but which can check the different wallets that get, uh, that um, uh, the tokens and, and, and coins are, are moved to uh, but also they can they can trace um, missing uh, tokens and, and, and coins uh, around the world. They use the same technology as the FBI and the National Crime Agency and all this kind of thing. And it's all very clever stuff, um, which I'm not going to pretend 
uh, and are to use. So how many companies have has Glacius invested in? So uh, four is is in total. Uh, four, sorry, four including Glaciers. So there's Glaciers, there's Leighton's, there's Wealth Recovery Solicitors, and then there was Cannings Connolly, which has gone into Leighton's and has been subsumed by it. Um, all with different cultures, all with um, different focuses. Um, like I say, Leighton's is very much international. It's very much sort of uh, relying on their international languages, their Italian, their Spanish, their um, German, um, French. They, they, you know, they do, they're doing all that kind of whiz-bang stuff uh, in capital markets and uh, IPOs, things like that. And they've got a great intellectual property um, offering. Whereas uh, Glacier is more sort of UK focused, albeit we're very lucky that we get a lot of work from Spain uh, because of ETL. So you're, you're basically, well, you have a, a big share, I presume, in four businesses. How do you, so, uh, does any, like, all the, all the big uh, conflicts come up to you? All the big uh, decisions? Uh, yes, um, they do. They come up to myself and, and Dave Marler. Um, and we basically take it in turns. We, we do talk, but we basically take it in turns to make decisions and, and hope that it's right. But we, We've got enough trust. There's, a, there's loads of trust. Um, I, don't, I think, don't think we... Well, very rarely do we disagree on anything. And never... Uh, not a lot of disagreement survives a proper conversation about the subject. Um, so I think, yeah, we, we, uh, there's a load of trust and um, he's very sensible and probably a little bit more cavalier. Um, but, you know, he trusts me um, to make, uh, to make sort of half decent decisions most of the time, I hope. Um, and actually we swap the roles that people think we have sometimes because I was the litigator People used to think that it would be me who would do a lot of the sort of arguing and, and telling people off and and that would be the sort of the nasty one. Whereas actually Dave's got a hidden steel um, to him and he's probably the one who uh, is the most narky. You got that off by all that work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, I, I think... Uh, I, and then on other things, we were, we were chatting about something. We were chatting about something yesterday. Um... And I said, well, why, why, why have we done a roller vessel this one? Why am I sort of really sort of worried about it and don't want to make a decision? And you're like, oh, no, 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 we're just doing this. Um, and it was about, it's a, about quite a big investment that we're hopefully we're about to make in a load of new people. And it, 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 you would expect me, who's usually the more cavalier one, um, to be the one taking the lead on it, but I think Dave's the one who sees the the opportunity clearer than I do. Um, and so we are doing it, um, but we do, we roll reverse. Uh, but you've got to make sure the right decision's made most of the time. <coughs> yeah, just going back into your years before, before you learned more about law, you said you, you, you did A-levels. Yeah. And then you didn't really do much stuff for the next three, four years. I started at a I started a philosophy degree at the University of Liverpool. 
and I don't think I turned up to many uh, lectures. So, yeah, so you basically didn't do much for two, three years, and how do you manage to scan and have fun and to go properly into a law degree and properly do really well? It's a massive difference. <laughs> it, it, is a, it is a massive difference. Um, I think I'm very lucky um, that I find academic rigour easy. Um, I didn't work very hard at school either. I went to a very good school, but I didn't work very hard at school, second school, secondary school. Um, I still managed to do okay in A-levels. So I, I am fortunate in that respect that I, I, can, I can get that kind of thing done. Um, but it did I did feel like I had to knuckle down at university the second time round um, I think I'd appreciated that I was at the last chance uh, saloon and that if I didn't take that opportunity then my life as a professional probably was going to end there and then um, so I had to perform. I otherwise, if I just become a salesperson, I think, because um, that's the that's sort of I think my natural talent. Um, so yeah, I think I knew with my last chance to become a professional. And I, I had a friend who's a, a, a an elderly gentleman who, who sadly passed away, sort of ten years ago, and. He had his own chartered accountancy practice and he was very good to me, he was very kind to me uh, and I saw how well he'd done and the kind of lifestyle that he had and the friendships and relationships that he worked really hard at. Um, I think one of the things that men in particular are rubbish at uh, is maintaining friendships, giving friendships the, the respect and the hard work that they deserve and it can be hard work um, you may not sometimes remember or particularly want to contact your friends um, you do almost need to treat it like a business relationship sometimes and actually you know diarize things and make sure that you are spending time with people and seeing people and, and checking up on them and make sure they're okay and I think um, that's something that my, my friend Jeffrey taught me, and um, that's uh, being trying to be a little bit like him, doing the professional thing, doing the networking thing, doing the looking after your friends and treating and putting the hard work into friendships and relationships. I mean, that's something I learned from him and that I've implemented, and that's something that I managed just about to do at university the second time round. Second time, <laughs> yeah. Here's a, a big question. Have you achieved your dream in life? I think I am on the way there. I don't think I've achieved it yet. Um, I, I've got two beautiful children. I've got a beautiful wife. Um, we're comfortable. And our business is, is, is doing well. Um, 
but I'm one of those people who is always looking for the next thing. I'm always looking for the next challenge, whether it be moving house, changing a car, having another baby, getting married, getting engaged, um, doing glaciers, then doing maidens, then doing WRS, then looking how we can do the next thing. I'm one of those people who has to keep moving and has to keep looking for a new challenge. And so I think the dream evolves the whole way through. Um, but I am happy. And if that's most people's dream, I hope. Um, I'm happy and I'm relatively healthy. So I think that's got to be is the dream, a, hasn't it? Yeah, but I mean, is there a concrete dream? Because it might be just chasing the next step. No, there's, ne- there's probably never be a concrete dream because I'm a bit of a dreamer. Um, and so that dream's always going to sort of evolve, I think. So I haven't really answered your question, but it's the best I can do. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting to think you might never reach your dream because you don't know what your dream is in the first place. Yeah. That's okay. Life's about the journey, isn't it? Exactly. Not the destination. <laughs> I do have those quotes now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Put that on as a put that on as a fridge magnet. <laughs> <laughs> That's now just for the last question. We ask this for everyone. Why aren't you better? I am not better because I am inherently lazy. Um, if no one was watching, I'd probably do nothing. Um, and I think it's only the pressure that I think people are watching, which makes me do anything. Um, obviously now I've got kids to worry about, but um, I'm inherently lazy, so I still make lazy decisions sometimes. I know I do. So I have to push, I have to work really hard to overcome my laziness, which means I end up working harder than the vast majority of people because I have got this chip on my shoulder that I'm inherently lazy. Those years at secondary school where I didn't apply myself, I was lazy. University the first time, massively lazy. Um, And that sort of situation haunting me um, is what pushes me on, but I also know that it could affect me adversely um, from time to time so that's why I'm not better Brilliant, thank you so much for coming on the podcast David I've really enjoyed it, thank you